Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All About Reality. It has been a minute. Unfortunately, times have been filled with the real NFL draft, with rookie drafts happening all over. And in RSO, there is no offseason. And so Matt Goodwin and I welcome in a new heavy hitter in the RSO world, Ryan Krauchik, who's been with us before and is joining us in the All About Reality podcast league, among other things. Uh, and Ryan, welcome. Goody, welcome back. And gentlemen, we get to talk some football in May. Yeah, ha- happy to finally get one done. I apologize. I did tweet yesterday an apology to all, all of you about the fact that just like life has kind of taken over with family stuff, work stuff, all, all that good stuff. Um, so I, I, um, I'm happy to have a three-man booth today, to be honest with you, with, with Ryan. Just adds a lot of insight and analysis and, and strategy, especially around um, just does his homework on, on the on the rookie side of things. So I we're gonna we're gonna kind of flip the script a little bit, I think, on today's pod. And I'm gonna be more of an MC and 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 pepper you two with questions about the rookie draft. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how that played out in in our all about reality 16 team superflex league, writers league, uh, and just like thoughts in general about rookies. And then if we have some time, we'll try to get to some offseason happenings like coaching changes, free agents situations and, and and all that and then just like off the top we just uh, you know we'll probably have Kyle on English on at some point or CTO but there is the slow auction feature for those who are so inclined and, and kind of live in in that world um, so it's something available for probably I would say to have simultaneous bids going for for I would say our bigger leagues Luke I know you're in a 32 team or so um you know, that, that's just something that's, that's interesting, you know, for, for those who, you know, who are, who are clamoring for it. So kudos to Kyle and everybody for getting that done. And um, let's talk some football. Absolutely. Ryan, let's kick it over to you first. Our, most of our listeners probably remember you, remember you from your charitable outreach. And you came to us in the same flurry that brought Matthew Barry and other, other crowd. But you are primarily, you, you're doing some great writing and have a vested fandom interests in the local Washington DC team here. So tell people where they can find your stuff and, and what you're coming to the table with. Sorry about that guys, I was muted. <laughs> um, yeah, so you could find me at uh, what Gibbs FF on Twitter. I've uh, been doing a lot of uh, podcast work on there through the Washington intervention. Um, we've actually had uh, some some great players on like Logan Paulson. We've had some really great guests come on, on on that as well. And then to your point with the charity work, been doing a lot with Announce the Pick. Um, we've actually been redesigning the site the last couple of months and getting ready to launch that. Um, we had a little bit of a slowdown last year, but um, coming back into it reinvigorated. So um, that's kind of um, letting listeners and um the fantasy community have different um, analysts or players announce their actual picks for uh, fantasy football, which is great to see the the slow draft that RSO kind of implemented that feature because that's actually a great platform to be able to utilize it because you could reach out to a player or a, uh, a an analyst and actually put in that request and have the time to have it uh, announced for you to announce it to your league. So it's pretty cool. So a lot more to come on that, but um, yeah, what Gibbs FF on Twitter is is definitely the best place to find me. And thank you for joining us, powering through today. Goody, it is so good to have you back on the mic. 
I'm happy back talking football. My summer is wide open in front of me. I'm ready to like just talk football and make picks. And uh, when you talk about reinvigoration, right? I think a lot of people can speak to that. It feels like the world is opening back up again. A lot of people getting back into the mix with stuff that they care about. And for, for those of us who have the addiction to fantasy football, for a lot of people that's been rookie drafts as of late. Um, and I will start at the outset. And Goody, you're gonna, you're gonna toss us a lot of questions. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, first of all, cape up a little bit for the class of 2022, only from the perspective of uncertainty. It seems like the narrative has become so definitive from so many angles that this is a bad rookie class that it, it, for a while, it was killing the joy of rookie picks. But it, it strikes me that I, too, bought a narrative once, even though I loved Justin Herbert in Debbie. I bought the narrative that Tua Tagovailoa was a much better quarterback than Justin Herbert, to the point where I traded a pick that would ultimately become Justin Herbert and extra to move up four or five slots in a draft and select Tua. I am now very gun-shy about just writing off a particular player or a particular draft class before we've seen them play a down in the NFL. And so my, my perspective of uncertainty is going to say, I think people have to adopt a little bit more humility and there are absolutely some players to be excited about in this class. Absolutely, Luke. I, I think that's a good point, especially about Justin Herbert. I think I, you know, I'm guilty of, of think not being super impressed with like what he did in college with a really good offensive line. And, and he's certainly proved us wrong. And, you know, we've both sat in, in my buddy's seats at, at um, you know, Chargers home game now and with his family, who's like wonderful, by the way, like in that small little section there. And hopefully they'll be getting an up upgrade next year, but that's great, great seats there. Thanks to my buddy, Ray. Um, so like, I totally hear you on that. And so, so like, I'm going to actually lead in, let's, that's a good segue for me on the quarterback position and, and talking about super flex, for instance, as I've kind of seen it in the writer's league, seen it in the 16 teamer that we're, that we're all in together. Um, you know, typically people are clamoring for quarterbacks and because in the real live NFL draft, you only had one going round one, that's Kenny Pickett to the hometown Steelers. Um, first, my first question for both of you is this, um, in, in the real world, do you think the Steelers kind of having that second chance to grab a hometown guy, like, whereas in the eighties, they did, they passed on Dan Marino, who turned into have an, an, you know, an hall of fame NFL career. Do you think that was the big driving force between the Steelers making that pick of Kenny Pickett, you know, hand size be damned or whatever. And, and then like, how do you think that influenced where he went in the super flex drafts that you you've been part of? So looking at the writers league, Luke, you grabbed Pickett as the first quarterback off the board at 1.08 in the 10 team league. And I think he went fourth overall in our 16 teamer um, in the all pod league. So why don't what, I, I'm going to shut up and let you two, um, you know, do, do work on that. So let's start with your thoughts on, unpick it both re real and reality sports online yeah so i i felt like kenny pickett was a first round quarterback and i feel like there's a couple guys in this class that have some elite skill sets that i feel like people are under 
undervaluing this class a little bit. And I, I think it's the reaction of seeing other first round quarterbacks flop a little bit, like a Daniel Jones, a Dwayne Haskins, like that, that year where it was perceived as a weak class and, and teams still went ahead and took them pretty early in the draft. I think you started to see that reaction in the actual NFL a little bit. Um, I felt like Kenny Pickett was someone that put legit wins on the table in college. I feel like he ran a very high powered offense. Um, it was something like the early 1900s last time someone put up um, as many 40 point games as, as Pittsburgh did um, this last season. He had some defining wins. He had a great game against Clemson. Um, you don't really see that in a lot of the like, like, again, like a Daniel Jones. Um, so the hand size doesn't really bother me too much. I feel like if you're effective and you could show up in big games in college and you could lead a high power offense, you know, hand size, sure. It can matter in, in tough weather games. And I know they play in Pittsburgh, but he played in Pittsburgh in college. So not too, too concerned about that. I feel like he's getting drafted pretty appropriately in, um, in our leagues that we've seen so far fourth overall in a 16 team that kind of makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's got decent upsides. I don't, upside. I don't see him as a, you know, high tier quarterback, like a, a Herbert or a Mahomes or anybody like that. Um, but I can see him in that middle tier of like a Kirk Cousins type fantasy quarterback, which is definitely valuable in a, in a super flex. Over to you, Luke. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to what Ryan said, other than I found myself uh, evaluating Kenny Pickett's uh, potential value boost from what he's getting right now in these rookie drafts, right? He's falling out of um, as you might imagine, from oh, the first round entirely in non-super flex, flex leagues. When he fell down to eight in the 10-teamer, that also made sense to me, right? Because you still want, in a 10-team league, you have a lot higher-end talent in both your super flex spots, typically. And the fact that he fell to even fourth overall in a 16-team super flex, as the podcast league dictates, I don't know that you have a higher upside after Brees Hall, right? I think still in that 16-teamer, if I was sitting at slot one, I would have gone Brees Hall just because he's pretty much guaranteed to accrue value this year. But if Kenny Pickett gets on the field, automatically then you have a rookie quarterback with playing time in the NFL. And we know that that immediately makes him probably more valuable than any other player in the rookie draft in a 16-team super flex league. So it's a little bit more of the game theory for me. And from purely a fantasy perspective, it's just assuming that he's going to get playing time for the Pittsburgh Steelers, an excellent franchise with frankly a, a long track record of doing right by their, uh, by their players and by their franchise. I'm willing to gamble on Mike Tomlin and co. And uh, that's ultimately where in fantasy, I think he's a good pick uh, for those of you that have drafted him where he's fallen. Excellent analysis there. Um, I'm going to just recap a little bit for at least in, in the 10 teamer and you guys can talk about the, the 16 teamer, at least who went off the board in, in, a, in a more conventional 10 team league for super flex. So first off, um, a newcomer league, um, Tim, Tim fin picked Brees Hall overall 1.01 in, in the writers league. Luke, you were second, you picked Traylon Burks, um, Kenneth Walker, the third went third to Bob Cowper. Um, then Luke, you had another pick. You picked Drake, Drake London at four. Um, our own Nick Andrews picked Jamison Williams at five. And 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 I really think, like, I believe that Jamison Williams has Devontae Adams-like quality. So I, I I really like that pick. And and even if he doesn't start right away, just with the injury, I I'm I'm not super concerned about his long-term prospects. Um, you Luke, you picked Garrett Wilson from the Ohio State University at six. 
I traded up to grab Chris Olave at seven, just a receiver who I feel like has a lot. He reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen. I know he, he may have like a deeper threat profile than that, but um, it'll be interesting now that Jarvis Landry's there, like what his immediate situation looks like. But I think that Michael Thomas is, is really still pretty banged up and, and, and unpredictable. Then Luke, he went Kenny Pickett at um, eight, as you mentioned, then George Pickens went off the board and Dave Sanders at nine. And um, then lastly, Bernard um, picked Sky Moore at, at 10, just kind of going with that Chiefs offense and Tyreek Hill moving, moving over to the Dolphins. So um, some value in the second round also in that. Christian Watson went first pick off the board, Jahan Dodson went next. James Cook, who I think is a kind of an interesting pivot point um, to probably talk about what when I when I wrap up the recap, Damian Damian Pierce, Rashad White, Brian Robinson at 2.06, Matt Corral at 2.07, and Matt Papson who loves rookie who loves rookie quarterbacks on cheap contracts, Cowper with Isaiah Spiller at eight, um, then Tim went with Alec Pierce at nine, and then Dave Sanders wrapped up round two with Zamir White um, from from the Raiders at. at um, <clears throat> sorry, at 10. And then we do have a third round, but the question is with a, what's perceived as a weak rookie class, like do you want those third rounders as an RSO GM or do you want the roster spot or, or what? So I'm um, interested to hear your thoughts on that. We can talk about the, the pod league too. So Luke, we want to start with you quickly just because you had a lot of draft capital and we'll go over to Ryan for his thoughts on whether how chalky that was, anything surprising, et cetera. Sure. Uh, two pivot points that are probably obvious to our listeners. When I was sitting at two, uh, four, six, and eight, um, I really had to make the decision on Kenny Walker quite early. And the Kenneth Walker pick uh, came down to the fact that I would rather go after some veteran talent um, than, than bank on the Seattle offense, such as it is this year. And so I made trades before and during the draft to secure Antonio Gibson to secure Christian McCaffrey and to secure Nick Chubb. And I figure if Kenneth Walker is starting over any of them, then I've, I've aired dramatically. I also have four first round picks in 2023 because I did the complete teardown. And I said, like I said, the, the players I happen to be excited about in the draft this year are wide receivers after Brees Hall. So I just said, let me get my guys. And I opted for Traylon Burks first because he was the one that, that I thought I would be genuinely sad if I walked away from this draft without this player. Um, and then Jameson Williams, I knew would go to Nick based on how high he was in our conversations. And that meant my top three wide receivers, uh, would all slot in for me. So I was able to get Traylon Burks, Drake London, and Garrett Wilson. I thought your move was quite clever to hop up for Olave. I have Olave Pickett and, uh, Sky Moore actually in a tier there. And, um, I would have been fine with any of them. I was actually trying to move out of that eighth pick. Uh, you jumped ahead of me for Olave. I think I probably would have gone there over Pickett, to be honest. Um, and But with Olave off the board and with those other three rookie wide receivers in the pocket, I thought uh, perhaps it would be good to diversify and go Kenny Pickett rather than go Sky Moore. Two questions for Ryan. Obviously, any critique that you have looking at that first round would be awesome. And the other curious case was when um, Papson traded in, he opted for 
Matt Corral over any of the other quarterbacks second overall, which is a little earlier than I've seen him in other drafts. So obviously any commentary that you have, Ryan, about the first round or the choice of Corral over Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter or some other um, potential options. Sure. I mean, I personally am comfortable taking Kenneth Walker early. I actually traded up in our league. I had the four pick and ended up moving up to the second pick to, to secure him. And I think when it comes down to teams, especially that are leagues that are like 14 or 16, that running back position has becoming a, a pretty big commodity at this point, right? You got a lot of split backfields. It's tough to find that workhorse. And even in our league, like I had to, I had a struggle through with Michael Carter last year and I had Kareem Hunt. And when he got hurt, it was just, there was nothing out there in a 16 team league. So I needed to get aggressive. I'm not as big of a fan of James Cook as a lot of people are. I actually have him 12th ranked um, from the rookies right now. He's that end of that like tier that I really like in this year's class. Um, but I do think this class is, is kind of deep. It's just not deep at certain positions, right? It's a, it's a really good wide receiver class. And I think you have a, a good tier there and you, you listed off a lot of the guys in the, the first round that are, are in that tier, but Drake London, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, uh, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, and Chris Olave for me are, are that tier. And I actually think Jahan Dotson, because of the draft capital and because of the uh, Scott Turner offense in Washington and me just being a homer um, for Washington, I feel like that that's a pretty deep class for wide receivers. So um, I'm not as down on this class as a lot of people are, um, especially in that top 12 picks. It's when it falls off of that talent from there, I think it does get a little weak. Um, now you touched upon the third round picks goody before and like, Hey, what do you do with them? Are you trying to trade out of them? Are you trying to keep them? Um, it, it, it kind of depends for me, but I feel like every year there's always some person in every draft that sneaks into the third round that shouldn't, um, even Terry McLaurin, when he came out, like that was that guy that I was always targeting that kept falling in rookie drafts that year. And I scooped him up a couple of times. Like there's always that one guy that I feel like should go in the top 15 or 16 picks that squeezes into that middle third round. Even like Brandon Ayuk was, he was mostly a second round pick in a lot of drafts, but he did squeeze in, in those 10 team leagues to a couple third round picks. One of the leagues that I'm in, he did. Um, so I like to hold on to him and I like to like target, like the guys like the John Mechie or the Jalen Tolberts or Alec Pierce, Brian Robinson. Like there's, there's some names there that I feel like are good enough talent to warrant the pick and not, have no upside at all, right? They, they have some um, upside for you from a fantasy perspective. They've landed in pretty decent, um, you know, positions. So I'm holding on to those third round picks for now, unless I could get some good capital for the 2023 class, which supposedly does look stronger. Um, but again, I think it's the wide receivers are pretty deep in this class. Yeah, very astute points. Actually, Luke, you brought up some things because I forgot I've made a lot of trades in the writer's league in the off season too. So to, to move up from 2.03 to get the 107 um, from Bob Cowper, I, I to, to pick Olave, I traded him a one-year expiring of Keenan Allen for around $35 million a year and took on Brandon Cooks, who was about $1 million more, I think at $36 million. So it was 1.07 in, in Brandon Cooks. Both, I think, have had just the year left for Keenan Allen in 2.03. I think a pretty even trade if you're looking at it from a, from a perspective of just productivity, probably, and, and, and what that looks like. And and I, I just personally feel like Cooks is, is in a situation on a bad team that they're going to throw a lot. And while I love Keenan Allen and everything else, I just felt like I could 
you know, with him having Mike, Mike Williams and, and Austin Eckler there, I just thought that offense is a little more prolific to, to afford me to, you know, take a shot at, at Cooks's upside and still move up to get a, a guy like Olave that I liked. Yeah, the, the Olave pick is interesting. He's obviously, he's, I don't know if you guys have seen this in other leagues, but he seems uh, almost a lock to be slotted into the seventh slot in, in, in right after Reese Hall and Kenneth Walker and then Burks, London, Williams, and Garrett Wilson in some order. Uh, I haven't seen him jump up ahead. I have seen Sky Moore uh, occasionally jump up ahead for people who love the Chiefs. Um, Ryan, to your point, in the 32-teamer, and shout out to all that crew in the Extreme Fantasy League, in the 32-teamer, with the 19th and 20th pick, I went very Washington commander heavy because, uh, as you might imagine, in 32-team league, it's, it has the same effect as Superflex, elevating kind of uh, running back and quarterback value a lot. And that meant that Jahan Dotson fell all the way to the 19th slot. So I was able to get him at 19. I was super thrilled about that. I think he's a talented kid. And, um, and to get him in what amounts to the middle or late part of a second round in most leagues, I thought was uh, just stealing at that point. It was good. And then Sam Howell right afterwards. I thought, uh, again, it's all about the upside play when you're just picking that late, which is the equivalent of a late second round pick um, in a 32 team league. And I, I, fortunately have a build that allows me to sit around and wait to see if he ever becomes something he doesn't ever have to start for me if he doesn't become something so those are kind of uh strategy plays that i that i think if you do a good job in rso of, of building out your future and you really plot out what you want that gives you the flexibility and freedom to do that it does point out that quarterback class again though ryan to you first and then goody to you if you guys had to uh, to bet something on any of these quarterbacks playing out or panning out that are not Kenny Pickett, uh, the Matt Corral, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, and Sam Howell crowd. Do you have a favorite of that bunch? I'll start because I do. I, I really like Malik Willis. Um, I was super high on him in the draft and was shocked that he fell as far as he did. I felt like he made tremendous strides in 2021 uh, from 2020. I feel like he cleaned up a lot of his mechanics um he he is a, a dual threat quarterback right and in in fantasy football if you can have a guy that can produce really strong running stats i feel like you gotta go and grab them um i feel like he's got a big arm um he runs as efficiently as anyone i've seen since lamar jackson um, coming out of college and i think the upside is definitely there the problem is he's got a little bit of a, a path with Ryan Tannehill, but uh, I, I really like Malik Willis. I feel like he's going to be a tremendous asset in the run game for an NFL team. Um, I had him as a top five pick overall on my actual draft board. So now I kind of feel like foolish looking, looking back, seeing how far he slipped in the real NFL draft, but you know, hopefully the NFL is wrong and I'm right, but it could be the opposite. <laughs> um, but I just feel like, I, I feel like the Titans got a steal there. Um, he fell way too far to me. I, I, can't justify him not being a first round quarterback um, in the real NFL draft. So I'd, I'd hang my hat on, on Willis and his arm and his ability to make big throws and just make plays on a very bad Liberty team with absolutely no offensive line and playing some decent competition. So I, I like Malik Willis a lot. And Goody, how about you? Do you have a favorite of that crowd? I do. And, 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 um, Ryan's going to like this answer. Actually, I, I, I'm a Sam Howell fan. I think 
All um, right. I just, you know, in, in three years at North Carolina, I just put up like when I'm looking at like pretty productive college quarterbacks, I'm looking at, at QBR, things like that, touched on interception ratio and thing and that type of stuff. Cause you know, I, yes, there are, there are folks who just kind of dump the ball off and then get the ball in the talented playmakers hands. And then they Debo Samuel it. But I don't really think that was, that's the case for Howell. I, I just, I, I mean, threw for over 3000 yards all, you know, all three years he was there. And that was with like, at least the two years prior with like really good running backs in, in Michael Carter and um, Javante Williams. So I, I, I think I, I, I like, you know, completion percentage last year, 68% college. Like he, he, he slung it a little bit. Um, not, not really much of a runner, obviously, but I, I don't think that really matters. I, I mean, I think he, he has a chance to be, you know, also with like, I, I know what the commanders traded to, to get Carson Wentz. I'm not, I don't really view Carson Wentz as an impediment to, to Howell if, if Howell's producing. So, I mean, you know, unfortunately his fifth round draft capital tied to that, but, you know, get, given, given those other guys, I think like there's just, there's other things in, in the way a little bit with some of those other guys potentially. And, and, and just like what, what tools they had to work with in college. So I, 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 I think you could do something like red, you know, give Howell a red shirt year or maybe another one after that. And, you know, a couple of years down the line, this guy, you could be talking a, a really good NFL player. But that's the interesting thing about this class, Matt, to your point is, you know, once you get past Kenny Pickett, none of them have the draft capital, right? So it, it, you're kind of in unprecedented territory. Like we, we haven't seen quarterbacks fall this far um, in a very long time. Um, you know, I, when I look at the quarterbacks and I grade them, I always look for, if I'm looking at like a first or second round quarterback, do they have an elite trait, right? They don't have to have a total package that's elite, but do they have something that's elite? So like Malik Willis, I feel like is an elite runner. Uh, Matt Corral, I actually love his quick release. I think that's an elite trait that he has and he produced against the SEC. Um, even as a commanders fan, I think Howell does a lot of things well, but he doesn't do anything great for me and that's the big thing but he does have a very big arm um and i think when you look at scott turner's offense and that that vertical offense he's a really good fit for that so he could be to your point a two-year stash and then maybe takes over for carson wentz after that and and fits into that offense nicely so it's a it's a solid pick there yeah it's interesting when you speak about elite traits again i tend to think it's worth talking to our listeners for a bit about these wide receivers. One thing that is curious is that over the offseason, Garrett Wilson had ascended to a fairly consensus wide receiver one um, after his performance at the Combine. In the actual NFL draft, he ends up being the second wide receiver drafted, two picks after Drake London. And it seems to me that he has become a pretty uh, consistent draftee after you see Drake London after you see Jameson Williams, after you see Traylon Burks go off the board. Um, PFF had them as their, his, their highest graded wide receiver. We have an Ohio State fan on the line here. We, um, I didn't see Garrett Wilson's landing spot as bad. Is this fear of Elijah Moore? If, is this fear of Zach Wilson? Can you guys speak to me as to where this narrative is coming from that Garrett Wilson be knocked down despite being the second wide receiver taken and a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Is it obvious to either of you where these fears are coming from, from drafters, or is it just that people like 
the other uh, wide receivers more. I'm not sure that I care that Jameson Williams, uh, Jameson Williams got drafted by the Lions, but is Jared Goff a substantially better quarterback than Zach Wilson? I don't even know that the answer to that is yes. So um, this is my frustration. Garrett Wilson was number one going in, and it seems like that narrative switched quick. So anybody want to speak to that? Uh, Ryan, go for it. Sure. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things for me, I think, is people fear the Jets, right? And if you just look at fantasy football, they're like that, like that purgatory almost of when players go to the Jets. Um, I think it's a little bit unfair because it's a new staff, and I, I tried to break up the historical staffs to the current staff. Um, I think they actually have a pretty good foundation with Brees Hall and Michael Carter at running back, and you know Elijah Moore and. Uh, um, you know, now Garrett Wilson at wide receiver with Zach Wilson. I think it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I had him as the second ranked wide receiver um, coming in out of the draft and, and like for the real NFL draft. But if I'm looking, I actually have him as the sixth ranked wide rec- uh, player overall on my board and the, the fourth ranked wide receiver. Um, so it's, it's curious. I think it's just for me, it's, it's the fear of the jets a little bit. It's not, it's not Elijah Moore for me. Um, I feel like he's, I, I like Garrett Wilson better as a, as a number one wide receiver in the NFL. I think Elijah's going to be more of a, a complimentary piece to him. I know that probably angers some of the fantasy community because he's pretty high on a lot of people's boards. I'm not as high on him. I think he's uh, a better number two. Um, but I think it's, it's just the, the jets history. Zach Wilson struggled a little bit last year, I think that kind of comes into play a little bit. And I don't know why, but I, I picked up on like the, the Drake London post-draft hype where he was my fourth ranked receiver overall. And now I have him number three on my board. Um, and it just kind of, for him, him going to the Atlanta Falcons, it just feels like, oh, is this the next like Julio, right? Like he's he's got that big body profile. They, they brought in Kyle Pitts last year and they're looking for those big body targets. He feels like in PPR, that, that might be the move. And then I did have Traylon Burks was, uh, the one guy that I had over Garrett Wilson in the actual um, draft rankings um, leading up to it. So those guys I have ahead, but I, I think it's just the fear of the Jets. That's one. For, go ahead, Goody. Go ahead. How yeah, for for me, I think the what Ryan said at the end was the most like prescient thing. I think that I think the draft Knicks and and people in the fantasy community kind of fixate on two two things when it comes to when it comes to wide receivers in general. I, I fully agree with the Jets purgatory type comments as well. But for me, it's you know, I think that people fawn over the the big receiver. <laughs> basically that, you know, that, that like the height and the, like kind of like the AJ Green, Julio Jones type profile or whatever, or like the, that size matters in that, the, you know, especially when you're looking at that from a, like a, who's a number one receiver perspective added to which the landing spots of, of each of those receivers kind of pluck them into, you know, give, given the trade of AJ Brown to, to the Eagles, I think that, you know, Traylon Burks in theory plugs in into a, an offense. Obviously, Robert Woods is a, is a very good NFL receiver. Um, but like, I think maybe at the time, like those picks, you know, people are thinking of that in mind with long term. Hey, he's kind of the de facto wide receiver one there. Same thing with, you know, Drake London at, at, in Atlanta. Whereas, you know, with the, with the Jets situation and, and the, like to Ryan's point about Elijah Moore and, and let's not forget they spent big money last year on Corey Davis is a pretty big target who, you know, 
week one of last season was, you know, gangbusters. And then he had some injuries, things of that nature. So, um, and then Jamison Williams, I think is just purely an injury thing. So, I mean, like, first off, like the fact that like the four receivers on Ohio state were there at the same time with Jamison. I mean, that's ridiculous with Jackson Smith Najimba and, and um, Alave Jamison Williams was like basically the number four receiver behind Wilson. And like, that's just insane. So, um, those were my quick thoughts, Luke. Did you have anything to put a bow on this? Uh, this is, it's less putting a bow on this particular point, And it's more, I am always fascinated. And I, what I want to do next year is track more closely at the different pivot points that the community coalesces around a particular talent and then shifts off them, right? Because it seems like the Debbie community elevated Traylon Burks for a long time. And that was the name from the trusted sources that I cared about. That was the name from the anal analysts that I invest the most stock in their opinion. And then when he performed as less than what people anticipated, uh, he, the community fell off him a little bit. And then all of a sudden when the AJ Brown trade happens and he slots in presumably to the AJ Brown role in the Titans offense, then he gets elevated again. It seems to me that this is all of us with the fantasy addiction reacting perhaps too strongly to day-to-day -to -day news when we're, I trust people like Ryan who to spend some time evaluating talent. And that's why it's interesting for me to hear Ryan, you say that even your rankings shift a little bit with talent with, uh, pardon me, with landing spot, because I, I tend to, I doubt my own capacity to judge rookie wide receiver talent. So I defer to the people and the names in the industry that I've deemed successful at doing so. So can you speak to a little bit to your process for a moment? How is it that, that a, a guy as talented as Wilson then comes off that, uh, that perch based on landing spot? Are, is it because you're evaluating rookies for like their impact this year or what, what kind of input changes that for you? Sure. It's, it's a great question. So for me, with rookies, I never just look at the first year because I'm under the belief that cream rises to the top, right? And I, I feel like when you have a talented football player, they're going to find their way onto the field no matter what. Um, so it doesn't matter if there's someone in front of them. It doesn't matter to me, you know, who the current quarterback is. I'm looking from a dynasty perspective, even an RSO for the long haul, right? I'm looking at not just the rookie contract, but maybe extending them and like having them for the bulk of their career. So for someone like Traylon Burks with wide receivers, if they're dominant from the day they step onto that campus, that's a really big deal for me. And I feel like from day one, Traylon Burks was a guy that you were like, it's almost like CeeDee Lamb. When you saw CeeDee Lamb play, you were like, even from his freshman year, like this is a, a future number one. This guy is a stud. I felt that way with Traylon Burks. I know some people talk about his like route running and things like that, but there's a size speed combo there and an ability to win in the open field and just put on those burners, man, like over 20 mile an hour, you know, top speed yeah. for a guy, his size is pretty crazy. And um, I, I think he's a complete receiver. I don't see the, the route running issues that everybody else does. Um, for Garrett Wilson, for me, it became like Burks was always my number one. He's been my number one since like, the season started just because I like his past work and he had proven that out to me already. Um, Wilson Williams, Olave and London for me, actually it's funny because Wilson Williams and Olave from a talent perspective, 
were pretty close. Um, and then London was a guy that I kind of started to buy into more and more and more, um, especially with his ability to win after the catch. Um, but it is something about a familiarity of a type of player going into a system where that type of player in that system has produced results. And I think that's why you saw Drake London move up for so many people because Julio Jones has done so well in Atlanta in that offense. And uh, you've seen other big bodied receivers like Kyle Pitts, even in the a tight end had a successful rookie season. So you could see how that plays into it. Traylon Burks stepping in for the AJ Brown role. Like you said, he's a very, similar type player. I don't think he's as talented as an AJ Brown, um, but he will play that role. So you could see the success there with Garrett Wilson and even Jamison Williams. It's harder to put that comp for the current team um, into play where they've had success. Like for the jets, it's, it's kind of going back to like Jamison Crowder a little bit, and they haven't really had that successful wide receiver that you feel comfortable with. Same with Jamison Williams. I think where Jamison Williams gets them bump up is the Alabama receivers, how consistent they've produced in the NFL, and just that explosiveness that he brings. He's the most explosive of all the wide receivers to me um, and that most like vertical threat. So I feel like he's got that that top end talent that people will look for. Um, and I think that's what gets people excited. Um, but for me, it's just like if you could see that similar player in an offense and they're filling in for someone that had a lot of fantasy success and they fit that profile, it's a little bit easier to get that comfortability. Two numbers, one that you mentioned there and one that you did, that 20 mile per hour top speed. And I think to lodge you a little bit, I, I absolutely, again, you're one of the names that I, I like how you present the information that you put out there. You're one of the people that I trusted. I got on to Traylon Burks in part because of like you dropping his name a lot on Twitter and other Debbie guys prior to you. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is, this is what I see too. When I see that player and he's the one, Again, he was the top of my heap. He's the one that I feel bad if I don't walk away from a rookie draft with this year because he's the one that it, it just feels the most like uh, in a startup three years from now, his name is one that we could be talking about like um, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and, and even CeeDee Lamb are now, right? Like if, you, if you're if you in a, a startup, those, those three are in a tier that are above other players. Um, and they've kind of retained that value. The other number that you did mention um, other is, it has to do with Drake London. Like you named all the good elements for him and gentlemen, like goody, we don't have to make this hard, right? I, Drake London is only 20 years old and he's six foot four and 220. I mean, he's, he's younger than all the other guys. And he has from day one demonstrated that he can be an NFL player. Seems like it's safer to make a bet on him too because he's going to retain value because people next year when he's been playing, he's going to be younger than 30% of the rookie class coming in and stuff. So, and he's going to have a year of the NFL under his belt. So Goody, I, you've asked Ryan and I, and you've done a good job of like leading us through what, like what we had to say with a lot more investment in the rookie class this year. You, by your own admission, has, have kind of taken a step back. You had a lot of success in the Writers League last year. Um, and you're like, is there a name that, from your perspective, someone, when the casual fan comes back, and that's by no means you, but at least this year you get a little bit more of the perspective. Come September, who's the rookie that, that like the average um, fantasy player that isn't addicted and doesn't text each other year round like we do, like who's the rookie that you think other than Brees Hall is going to be the rookie wide receiver? Let me narrow it down for you. What rookie wide receiver come September is going to be the flashy name? Come, come September, 
Yeah, when like when when the rest of us are like doing our redrafts and stuff, is there any rookie wide receiver that's going to be popping by that point after camp? Yeah, or... and and I think it's not one of the ones you mentioned. I think it's I think it's going to be Christian Watson. Okay. Um, just just because like you know, I mean, I still don't understand, and there's still maybe there's still some off season to play out, but like you you got to you got Aaron Rodgers there. You got like, they lost Devonta Adams. They, they invested second round pick on him. That's typically the, the pivot point where the Packers have had success with Jordy Nelson with Devonta Adams, et cetera. So like, I don't even know all that much about Christian Watson, but like, you know, I think you're just going to hear like the post-draft hype, like the training camp stuff, like that type of stuff. That's good. That's good. That's going to pop. Like if you have, if, if you're in one of these leagues that has a rookie draft late, which like I do in one league in August, um, or if you're a redraft player, like things like that, I, I think that, I think honestly, that's, that's the name that, that jumps out at me just kind of being, you know, connected to, to Rogers and, and like that history and track record of the Packers having success with the second round picks. Randall Cobb too. Don't forget it's, it's, they, they hit their second round wide receivers. And it's funny because Christian Watson was a guy that, you know, with his drop rate and I felt like he's not the most polished of a a route runner, um, but he's, he's a very lengthy, fast runner. Um, I feel like if he had gone anywhere else, I probably wouldn't be as high as I am on him because just they've had that success. And again, you could see him slotting in to that offense. Um, I think Chris Olave is the guy that we talked about before that you're like, you know, when you look at that tier, he seems to be going like seventh. And it's funny because I think he, he doesn't do anything flashy, but he's one of the smoothest route runners that I've seen in, in a while coming out of the, the draft. Um, and I, I feel like he maybe has some struggle against some press coverage, which I think is dropping him down a little bit and not that clear path again, that we talked about where, you know, he's got, um, you know, Michael Thomas, they just brought in Landry. Um, so that that's a little bit harder of a path for him to get to. Um, but it's just funny because, and I, I'll stop talking after this, but, you know, with, with Drake London, you know, he was a guy that I just, if he didn't land in Atlanta, I'd probably not bring him up as high as I have on my rankings, just because, you know, I think with him, he's gotten elevated. I don't know if you guys agree with this or not because of the season that Cooper cup had last year. So I think people are drafting Drake London thinking like, Ooh, is this the next Cooper cup? Uh, I got to tell you, when I saw Cooper cup come, I'm like one of the only people in the world that had Cooper cup as a first round draft. That's like my one claim to fame is I, I was super, super high on Cooper cup. I loved him coming out of college. Um, I don't see that explosiveness that Cooper cup has. I know he's a big body. He's tough to take down in the open, open field, but when you watch Cooper Cup against Oregon, I mean, man, he was by far the fastest person on that field, and he flew with a big body. So I think people are falling into that trap, too, of elevating Drake London because of the season that Cooper Cup just had and expecting that. I don't think he's Cooper Cup, um, but I do think he fits into that role of high volume um, in a PPR league in Atlanta. That's well said. And I think the the uncertainty to, to come back to the point earlier, when I'm in a rookie draft against folks that I know like uh, Krauchik are have been evaluating these players and have been thinking about them, and certainly in the writers league, I don't presume that my expertise is such that I'm going to beat other like thoughtful, talented individuals in, in picking the needle out of the haystack. And that's why, if I could suggest to our listeners 2022, you'll be surprised how easily you can trade into the first round. If there you are able to move 
uh, good quality veterans to get into the first round if you want to. And my idea is go after multiple, take multiple shots on these guys that you're not certain the outcomes and, and how they may end up. Because we, we've seen in years past, for example, in that 2020 draft that produced CeeDee Lamb and produced Justin Jefferson and produced T. Higgins, the guy that was actually going first overall amongst wide receivers and substantially ahead of, ahead of any of them was Jerry Judy. And it's just good to know that you can take multiple swings and, and potentially hit like big on these wide receivers this year because there is such a depth of talent. You can go get the Chris Olave, particularly at the end of the round. Um, you can catch a sliding Watson. You can catch a sliding Sky Moore. Some of those guys have to fall out if the consensus has the other four so firmly ahead of them. And so go get those guys. It just makes sense from a from they're cheaper now than they're ever going to be because of the perception of the 2022 class. And it's rare that we could sit behind this mic and tell you to go get first rounders during rookie draft season. That's usually the counsel I would advise against. You should be creating those picks uh, at other points in the year. It's a great point. Great point. Yeah. Excellent. So I, I think we're getting near, near out of time, but there's two fantasy football things that I wanted to bring up to you and maybe we'll, postulate on those on a, on a future podcast but for first off the thing I shared in the in the pod league today about <laughs> the Jock Peterson and um and Tommy Pham MLB dispute over stashing a player on IR really rang RSO <laughs> to me um first off so that was kind of funny a bench clearing brawl and um, batting practice that was the result of basically Tommy Pham accusing Jack Peterson of stashing Jeff Wilson on his IR when the rule, when he thought that was a gray area, even though the rules like seemed to indicate that was fine. Number one, number two, um, read a headline today on um, NBC Sports Edge that um, <clears throat> the Cleveland Plain Dealers Terry Pluto is saying that the Browns are having difficulty that they think that like the, the difficulty the Browns are having in, in trading Baker Mayfield is hinging on the huge guaranteed contract that they gave to Deshaun Watson, given the red flags and everything else. So I kind of putting the RSO lens on and thinking about some of the trades you've made, Luke, and, and, and stuff in the leagues. I would just like, it, it'd be kind of funny if like an RSO GM was, was blacklisted for making trades based on like driving up the franchise tag or, or something of that nature. So I, th I think those are interesting discussion points that we could maybe talk about on a future pod, but I just, if you guys have any one-liners on, on any of that before, you know, before we sign off. It only takes one is my only one-liner and that's what the Browns are going to find. No, these, these owners are not going to hold arm in arm. If it benefits another franchise that owner's <clears throat> going to take a swing and get baker mayfield if someone else perceived and i i'm the first to hold up my hand and say i'm quite wrong on baker if he's not a good nfl quarterback i thought he'd be good i thought he has been good i, I think his injuries playing into it too it's like what what are you going to get from him like right now basically yeah. versus like at the time of need i think that was the same thing that kind of you know, in a way got, got in the way of like Colin Kaepernick signing with the team too, even if it was as a backup role. I think that, I think Seattle probably would have brought, had Russell Wilson gotten hurt like a few years ago, I think Seattle would have brought Colin Kaepernick in in a heartbeat. But I think just to pay the money to a backup quarterback, like what, you know, regardless of anything else, like to pay like decent money to a backup quarterback, it just wasn't in the team's plans, basically. 
Maybe so, but I, Ryan can speak to this too, but I, there are two NFL teams that have pretty good rosters that are going into the year starting either Drew Locke or Sam Darnold. I, I am fascinated as someone who watches football that they don't see Baker Mayfield as a better option for their franchise. It is just baffling to me. It's a what have you done lately for me league, and I think people don't have – or maybe in these situations like Carolina where they have to win, I, I think they're scared to take the big chance sometimes, right? Like Baker Mayfield is not done in the NFL to me. I, I agree with you, Luke. And um, I feel like for what he did for the city of Cleveland, I'm surprised that they went so heavy for Deshaun Watson. But then again, Deshaun Watson's one of those three or four guys that can actually take you to a Super Bowl, even with a non-perfect roster, right? Like he's, he's that talented. Um, but I feel like, yeah, if you're going to ask me if I would start Drew Locke or, or Baker Mayfield, it's not even in the same stratosphere to me. Um, I think it does come down to the cap. And then if they just want that to be their long-term answer or not. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's just that short-term, what have you done for me lately thinking in the NFL sometimes and GMs, once that player starts to fall in that blacklisted category, get scared taking the swing of the fence there, but that's how you win big. So. Well, gentlemen, this was a big win just to get back behind the mic. And uh, Ryan, I know you will not be a stranger in the days to come. I know there's, there's going to be more of you hopping in on this joint. And Goody, and Ryan, I hope you feel better. You're on the mend. Goody, any final? You said you had two questions. Was there another one there? Another oh, fantasy? No, it, it, was, it, was, it was the Baker thing in the, in the, the MLB story with the fantasy. Which I got to tell you, before we sign off, the MLB story, I had – many instances where things have gotten overly heated in fantasy football that shouldn't. And I empathized immediately with that. Nothing's ever gotten physical, but it's just funny how something so small, like you look back to some of your, your arguments in other leagues and you're like, maybe the lesson to the listeners is take a step back and don't get too serious with the, you know, one, one off situation in a league. No one's generally trying to cheat the league or um, you know, for the most part. So, you know, take a deep breath. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I still occasionally am glad that Goody and I are on the opposite coast. When I think of the names, Chris Godwin and Tim Patrick, it would have come to blows physically. It would have been oh, uh, the 30, for 30 <laughs> on that. It was like a, it was like an hour discussion about two guys who essentially had the exact same outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. Like within a 10th of a point or something. It was ridiculous. It, uh, yeah. yeah so. But, but with a, with a perfect record intact, I think the pressure of having a per, going a perfect season really like even from a fantasy perspective, like certainly like, that legacy was really important it seemed in hindsight so yeah. well listen to everyone out there enjoy uh the memorial day weekend we will get this out to you hopefully you're listening to this with loved ones and family members someone happy and healthy there is no off season in rso and we will all be coming to you in the near future with more analysis of this particular off season this has been another episode of all about reality